If you would take your Bibles and go with me to Proverbs chapter 2. That's what I meant. If you think about praying for me while I preach, that would be great, actually. Psalm chapter, the second psalm. Go to the second psalm, okay? Psalm 2. Before we get into this, let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we, we very much need your help today. I need your help today. Fallible, weak, forgetful. And even in the midst of... of being so short-sighted and being a failure, reminded constantly that you are none of those things. You are you're always strong. You are always wise. You are never forgetful. You're never weak. So help us, Lord, as we take a, a, a look at at your character at your power remind us of who we are and as Rod just told the kids Lord where, where we're to run where, where, where our safe place is at may it be so today you, you call today the day of salvation You don't promise us tomorrow. All we have is this moment, Lord. So I pray that you would open our eyes to see clearly who you are. And that you you did extinguish the life of your son on our behalf. And that today, as we study, that you would be praised. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, what psalms, have, what kind of psalms have we dealt with so far? Go ahead, talk. I'm listening. Don't make me ask the kids because they'll tell me. History. What else? Lament. Wisdom. Thanksgiving. Yeah, praise. Good, good. All right, so I think we've, have we covered all but this kind? Okay. And, and what were the kinds called? It was the French word for, never mind, wasn't a French, I don't know if it's a French word, is it a French word? Yeah, genre, yeah. Fancy word, different kinds, okay. So, is, is it, I don't know if it's French or not. Oui, oui. All right, so, um, so today we're going to deal with, um, with the last variety, the last genre of psalm, and that is messianic. It is one of my favorite categories of psalms. Um, I love to see uh, how, um, and if you sit in our Sunday school class, there's we're in Isaiah, and it's like every verse points to the gospel, uh, to to the New Testament, and and to what um, Christ is going to do. So. 
I want to illustrate that for you just as we deal with this particular psalm. And so um, a while back, I got this really cool looking flashlight. Um, so, uh, so here we go. All right. It's nice and bright. Everybody see that? Okay. Nice, round, um, very clear light. Okay. Um, but it adjusts. Okay. It adjusts to, to that. Is that weird or what? Okay. How do we go from, I mean, what does that look like? A diamond? Does it look, does it look like the Pac-Man, um, uh, maybe a microchip or something? I don't know. But, but, but I'm, when I saw that, I was like, well, how do we go from that to this? I don't understand. I, I don't get it. This big, round, robust light starts out like this. Little, tiny, there's still light there. But it's small and it's hard to see. It doesn't quite make sense to me. How do we go from square to round? How do we go from a little light to a big light? Old Testament. I'm not sure what I'm looking at. There's definitely light there for sure. No, no missing it. There is light. I can see it. But I'm not sure exactly what it means. New Testament. Ha <laughs> Big light. Makes a lot of sense. Everybody got that? So, so Messianic Psalms, and when we see Christ in the Old Testament, it's going to look sometimes like this. Like, what? It, I'm not really sure. I'm not sure. There's light there, but I don't know. But when we get to the New Testament, ha-ha, it makes sense. Okay? So, so Messianic Psalms are, are uh, case in point. Uh, Psalm 2 was written by David. It's not in the title, but we know that because the New Testament tells us. We're going to get to that. So, um, so let's read, uh, let's read the Psalm and then we'll, we'll attack it here. Um, why did the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So, so if we, if we focus that light in and we go, okay, well, I'm not really sure. The Jews had, the, the Jews were concerned. What, what is this, is this the Messiah, capital M, or is this David? And they lean more towards this just being D- David and fulfilled in David's life. David had enemies. In fact, David spent most of his life 
either fighting the Philistines or the nations around or fighting his own nation because they wanted to dethrone him at one point, his own family. He always had enemies. So we can see how that might apply uh, to David. So, um, so there's a, there's some, okay, well, who, who, who does this refer to going on? Fast forward to Matthew. So hold your finger in Psalm 2 and go to Matthew chapter 3. Oops. Verse 15. Matthew 3, verse 15. Excuse me, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So in Psalm two, there's a beloved son. There's, there's a begotten son. And I, and I don't know, there's speculation. Who might that be? And in the new Testament, God himself says, Oh, by the way, this is my son. Just to be clear. If you're not sure what, what Psalm two refers to, Let me clarify for you. This is my only begotten. Acts chapter 4. Let's look at another one. Acts 4. So at this point, Christ has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's ascended. Um, he sent his spirit. Now the, uh, the disciples are the, the, the torch bearers of the gospel. Um, they, Peter and John have been arrested. And just before this, in verse 19, they say to the Sanhedrin, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. No offense, fellas. We saw him resurrected. We're not, it's not like we're making this up. We have to continue preaching in the name of Christ. So they released them. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? What's he quoting? Psalm 2. Who who did he say wrote it? By the Spirit of God? David did. Verse 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus... Whom you appointed, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. So, um, who's the anointed one? Who's this psalm referred to? It's Jesus. Psalm 2 is laid out 
And I, I like this because I, I like things simple. It's laid out in four different sections, three verses apiece. Okay, so here they are. Are you ready? The first section, the first three verses are the rebellion of humanity. The second section in four through six is the response of heaven. So you have the rebellion of humanity and now you have the response of heaven. And why would heaven respond that way? In seven through nine, we have the rule of heaven. So you have rebellion of humanity, response of heaven, rule of heaven. And in verses 10 through 12, you now have the response of humanity. How should humanity respond to who God is? So let's deal with the first section. First three verses. Um, Let's read them again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Let, Let me draw a couple of things here from this text. You guys realize that people in general don't like the biblical God. That it, it, that he is not popular. They don't like, they don't like the biblical God and they don't like his Mashiach, which is the word there for anointed, the Messiah. They don't like him. And so, uh, in some strange way in this text, they're collectively trying to usurp or stop the sovereign hand of God. They're collectively trying to do something about it because they don't like it. In fact, they see the gracious activity and sovereign work of God as bonds and cords. They look at God and they're upset because they are, he is holding them back. They look at his, the restraints that he puts on them and says, you are chaining us down. Something else from this text is that people really like themselves. And they really like the thought that they can exercise power. Let us burst his bonds. Let us break his cords. Now, I I don't know. I may be the only one here. How many of you have been to a high school basketball game or high school football game? I have yet to really understand the purpose. And I don't mean any offense here. So if you're this way, what is the purpose of a cheerleader? If you want them to win, go play. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand. And humanity is a lot like cheerleaders. Yeah, let's go do it. Yeah, let's win. But you're not doing anything. You can't. You can't. It doesn't work. It's true. I don't know. If you've been a cheerleader, I don't mean any offense. I just don't understand why. 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, so uh, so that's that's rebellious humanity. They're doing everything they can to just tell God, we don't want we don't want your restraints. We don't want your cords and your chains on us. And and we we can't look at your cords and chains like they're good. How does heaven respond to this in 4 through 6? Well, <laughs> kids, here's the posture. I meant to have this up here already, but... <sighs> Notice what it says in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens. Ah, now, this, here's, here's how heaven responds to 10 billion people rebelling against him. If, when you get news that something is wrong and you're sitting down and you hear that news, you're like, oh, man, right? You're shocked. What am I going to do? You're not, you're not sitting there resting as you hear this. You spring up like, i got to do something about this. That is not how heaven responds to our rebellion. Sits. He who sits in the heavens. And he's not sitting there going, oh, what are they doing? I don't understand. This is, this is very complicated. I'm going to have to think about what I need to do here. He who sits in the heavens does what? <laughs> you guys. <laughs> oh, you, oh. <laughs> what it says that's what's happening he, he sits in the heavens and he and maybe some of your translations don't say laughs what does he do maybe another word besides the laughs he scoffs dare I say that God might make fun of people in their rebellion Now, I'm a child of the 80s. Yeah. How many played with G.I. Joes when you were a kid? You're not a child of the 80s, though. That don't count, right? <laughs> did, now, what kind of G.I. Joes did you have? The original, original G.I. Joes, which was how long? How, how tall were they? They were about, yeah, 10 inches to a foot tall. Okay. Borderline dolls, you know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So, um, not, not, not if you were a child of the eighties. You know what you had? You had the little, uh, what were those? Little six inch plat, hard plastic. Those are not dolls. Those were, by definition, action figures. Okay. So, um, how many of you had those? Yes. Yes. Children of, children when they were younger. All right. So, uh, I, we had, we had, um, we had G.I. Joe's and we had, um, we had a lot of them. And if you ever had them and you played with them, you eventually figured out how they were made. Okay? G.I. Joe's would come in three parts. They had the legs, they had the middle, and then they had the upper part, the torso, arms, head, all that. And they were connected. So the torso and the legs 
had hooks on the inside. And those hooks had a rubber band on the, on the hooks that held all three pieces together. And then you had all this mobility. You could move them around and make them shoot their plastic guns. Okay? Like this. Okay? Because they had a rubber band in the middle. They could move. And the ones you really liked, eventually, you know, if things are held together by a rubber band, it eventually breaks. So we had a tote of, of broken G.I. Joes. So you know what you did? You mixed and matched. Took the legs of the ones you really liked, and then the torsos of the ones you even really liked a lot more, and then you took a rubber band of the one you didn't really like a whole lot, that the rubber band was still good in, and then you made your own G.I. Joe. It was very fun. Can you imagine? You went to all the work of creating unique G.I. Joes, and they get mad. They're in their little tote, and, they're, and, and they, they have an uprising. And they're mad at you because of what you have done. And they're shaking their little curved plastic hand at you because they're so angry. And, and they're yelling at you in their tiny little voice, I'm going to shoot you with my plastic machine gun. How would you respond uh, after the initial shock that your J.J.'s were talking to you? And if they do, you've probably been playing with them too long. Just saying. What would you do? <laughs> well, okay, I, 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 I admit there were times when I would attach a G.I. Joe to a Texas bottle rocket just to see what would happen. Lie. But what, what would you do? <laughs> you, again, after the shock, you would laugh, right? I mean, that little plastic G.I. Joe isn't going to do anything to you. It can't. It's not possible. He who sits in the heavens, he laughs. He laughs at them and holds them in derision. And so, MacArthur, um, and I'm not going to give you a direct quote here, but MacArthur said at one point that if you stacked all of the kings of all of the nations on each other's shoulders, every, every king that's ever been a king over the course of our entire existence, put them all one, one on top of the other. That topmost king can reach out and not even touch the hem of the robe of God. That's how great God is. Another thought in these verses is that one of the greatest, clearest expressions of God's wrath is in His Son. Verse 5, Then He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. In other words, He's not sitting there going, Alright, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and do this. He, he, in spite of all of that rebellion... And, and all the millions of ways that God could respond to that rebellion, His response to our rebellion is, I have a son. Now, why can He say that? Notice 7 through 9. 
I will tell of the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So heaven's response is that he has a begotten son, an only begotten son. And it's not that what we're, that, that God was looking upon men and he, he saw Jesus and he's like, well, why don't you come and be be my only begotten son? It, it, it's not like Jesus uh, advanced to the position of only begotten son. That's what cults believe. What the what the Bible upholds here is that the father son relationship is eternal. It's just that what what's being said here is revealing that eternal relationship to us. Okay. So God has an only begotten. It is in Christ. And what we see in this text is that Christ has a choice before him. Verse 8, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. So so either the, the nations are drawn in to this Messiah or, verse 9, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There's really only two ways to go here. We either belong to Christ or we're, we're, we're going to incur the wrath of God. One or the other. How does humanity respond? Guys, look at 10, 11, 12. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Kings. Kings who who establish laws and build armies and advance their kingdoms are being told, you're not acting wisely. And what we see in these verses is a, a kind of a lengthy description of what repentance actually looks like. So, so... Therefore, O kings, because Christ has been established, Christ is the only begotten of the Father, Christ is the king that God wants on the throne, understand that you're not acting in wisdom. When when you're shaking your fist at God and saying, this is not fair, what you're doing is not right, you're acting foolish. And the first step to wisdom is to admit that you're not. So kings, people in authority, recognize that what you're doing is foolish. Act in wisdom. Notice the next part of verse 10. Be, be warned, O rulers of the earth. In other words, this is not just something that we, we read and go on. There's a warning here. So he's saying, be warned. So if, if we really are in fact, we talked about this in Sunday school. The, 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 the marrying of believing and repentance, they go together. They have to. If I trust Jesus, there's going to be me repenting of my sins that go along with that believing. Be warned. I, I have to look at this and, and send some kind of warning here. Christ is going to express the wrath of God. I should probably take note. Verse 11, <clears throat> serve the Lord with fear. Again, this maybe isn't really, it's kind of like saying that God makes fun of them. And I, it, 
It's what it says. And, and, and serve the Lord with fear. Fear. We want to automatically say, well, that just means be respectful. Well, it does for sure. But can I just say it's okay to be afraid of God? It's okay to actually fear Him. Don't fear Him who can kill the body. Fear Him who can kill the body and soul in hell. It's okay to be afraid of God. So we have, we have kings, people in authority, people who tell other people what to do, being told, serve God. Be a slave to Him. Again, irony of ironies, uh, we were in Isaiah 60 in our Sunday school class. Let me just read what we looked at briefly today. Isaiah 60, 10 through 12. This is a, a prophecy some 700 years before Christ. Isaiah 60.10, foreigners shall build up your walls and their kings, the, the, the foreigners' kings, shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open uh, continually day and night. They shall not shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish those nations shall be utterly laid waste. We, we need to heed this as a warning to us. We need to recognize that, that it's not about us, it's not about our authority, it's not about our choices, it's about God and His sovereignty and His rule. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And, and, and so what, what's another aspect of repentance? Rejoicing. We're turning away from loving ourselves and putting ourselves at the center of the universe to loving God and reminding ourselves that He's the center of the universe. We go from not rejoicing and not worshiping to rejoicing and worshiping because of who He is. Verse 12. Kiss the Son. Man, that... This is one of the clearest. Um, passages on, 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 on Christ. I mean, God has a son. And his name is Jesus. And, 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 and by kissing him, we're not talking about the Judas kiss. I mean, somebody tried that and he betrayed him. That's not, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about extending friendship. You know, the, the Eastern kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Not, you don't have to be weird about it. It's just how they, they greeted one another. It's how you greeted your friends. So, lay down your arms. It's what he wants. Kiss the sun. Why would we do that? Lest he be angry with you. You perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Kids, where's a safe place to go? Notice the very last line of this psalm. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Isn't that a crazy thought? The one person 
in this text that we should be the most afraid of is the one person, the only person we could run to for safety. He is our refuge. A couple of thoughts as we close here. Um, Examine your own lives, your own hearts, your own views. How do you view, how do you view the restraints of God? Do you feel like God's just holding you back? That maybe he's not being fair? Years ago, most of you guys know Seth, right? All right, we were his we were his guardians for a few years out of the foster care system, and and I think actually the very first time we had Seth over, I took him outside. We had just went. How many of you ever laid one of those those parameter perimeter uh, shock lines for your dogs? I don't recommend it. That was a that was a pain. Um, but y- 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 the the principle is that if they. It, it, if they cross the, if they go, get to the line, they get shocked, right? And so I took him out. We walked towards the highway. And I showed him where our perimeter fence was for our dog. And I started quizzing him on why that was there. And if you think about it, there are people who would think that's really inhumane to do that to a dog. That is not right. I mean, shocking a dog. That's not fair. That's not right. Well, some people think that. What's worse? Getting a little shock on your neck that would cause you to turn around and run away or crossing the highway. What would you rather have? A little shock that uh, on your neck or being having half your body paralyzed if you got hit by a truck? Which one's worse? Think about it. So, that restraint, that restraint was our dog's life and freedom. Because if she stepped outside of that, she was going to die. She was a corgi. She wasn't fast. (laughs) She wasn't going to get off the highway. It was for her protection. Look at our society. We're rewriting marriage. We're rewriting... uh, uh, sanctity of life. We're rewriting everything. We think that if we vote on it, it's it's truth. We hate the restraints of God. And yet those parameters are set because He loves us. Because, guys, whether we like it or not, His designs are good. And he's designed them to work exactly like he designed them. We think that a text that's 900 years old is, or um, excuse me, 2,900 years old is irrelevant to us. But it's not. This is as as real today as it was when, when David penned it. How do you view the restraints of God on your life? Second thought here comes from John Calvin. He said, 
divine threatenings are neither idle nor ineffectual. This is a 2,900-year-old passage. I mean, wrath of God. I mean, aren't we past that? You can kind of hear Peter in the background going, well, there are people that are going to tell you we've just carried on like we always have, just from the day everything started. It was just, you know, nothing's changed. The day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. To, to, to examine these verses and think that this is old-fashioned and doesn't matter anymore, the reality is it does matter. The reality is He is coming back. Christ is coming back. Lastly, the presence, and this is going to be kind of a repeat of what I just said a little bit ago, but the presence and establishment of the throne of Jesus is the most clear expression of God's wrath. There are people, and I don't know if this is you or not, but there are people that think that the Old Testament God, the Old Testament picture of God that's presented there is different than the New Testament God. Have you heard that before? That, that, that there's, that there's, there's this, this angry uh, father figure in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament you have Jesus and love and acceptance and, and, um, uh, they're they're an eternity apart. Yes, there's people that believe that. That the 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 Old Testament is is strictly law, and the New Testament is grace. And I would argue that they're in both. I'm going to close today. I'm going to read two passages to you. I'm going to do my best. This is hard for a preacher, but I'm going to try not to make any comments on them. I'm just going to read them. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Excuse me. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 5. 2 Thessalonians 1, 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire 
inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Revelation 19. Revelation 19. 11 through 15. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray. Lord, we have no hope except for Christ. We have no hope. I can't go bury myself in the ground somewhere and hope that I can survive the coming of of your Son. It cannot happen. His first coming... He absorbed all of that wrath on Himself. All that wrath that you owed me. You put Christ in the path. And what what we get now, what I get, what I need, is mercy. I need this expression of grace because I have no hope without it. So in that window 2,000 years ago, you gave us salvation in Jesus. And what we just read, Lord, when He makes His second coming, That's not the time when we get to make a decision. That's not time for us to reflect on whether our lives have been in union with your Son, 
It's too late. It's too late. Lord, I want each of us here on that day when your son returns not to cower, not to be angry, but to marvel, to look at his coming and to hear the trumpet sound and not flee in, 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 uh, in fear, but to rise and rejoice. To meet him in the air. So God, I pray for each heart here. May uh, our rebellion, our own fist shaking be exposed. Not just that to, to, to show that we're, we're sinners and we're against you, but Lord, that you would show us that we're sinners and against you for the sake of our turning to you. Because that's what you desire. And all the praise will be to you. In Jesus' name, amen.